this morning, the congregation, that would be you, are providing the music for all of the, you know, our usual three hymns and then the four pieces that I usually play. So would you please open your books to... 38. 38. To page 38. And we will start with our prelude, which is Morning Has Broken. this morning, this day, this opportunity to be together in community, a time of joy and comfort, and today of singing and wonderful music. My name is Anna Gresh, and I'm a member of this congregation, and I want to extend a special welcome to everyone who's joining us today whether you are a member or a new friend. Since 1870, UU Wausau has served as a vital voice for liberal religion in central Wisconsin. We are an intentionally free society that welcomes all people just as you are, regardless of where you are 
on life's journey. This Universalist Unitarian Church is a place to come to learn more about being human. And today especially, we want to remember our seventh principle, that we have respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. We have a special announcement. Next Sunday, April 30th, will be the last time that Reverend Suzanne will be with us. To honor her, we'll be hosting a glorified coffee hour after church and after the service. And please, if possible, bring uh, something to share to thank her for the time that she has spent with us. And with that, let's gather our minds and hearts for, for service, for worship, and in, in, please join me in reciting the uh, church's chalice lighting, the words of which are in the church bulletin. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, the fire of commitment. We light the symbol of our faith as we gather together. Well, we gather on the ancestral home of indigenous peoples, home of the Anishinaabe, the Menominee, the Potawatomi, the Ho-Chunk Nation. All places of worship sit on native land, lands purchased through treaties that were constantly broken, stolen through lies, people violently forced from their ancestral lands. So we remember, we remember, we learn about this history. We remember all those people damaged in Indian boarding schools, including our own in Montana, punished for speaking their language, trying to maintain their culture. We also remember the Lakota spiritual concept of Matakuyasin. Matakuyasin, we are all related. We are all relatives. We are all inextricably interconnected. And so we remember our obligations to good stewardship of these lands, remember our responsibility to establish and maintain right relations with their inhabitants, past, present, and to come. So come, come, we've gathered together, gathered together today to sing, to speak, to ponder, all that is worth saving. The people, the creatures, the plants, the waters, the rocks, the air, Come, let us worship together. Let us consider all that is worth saving. I invite you to open your hymnals to hymn number 346, Come, Sing a Song with Me. And if you would rise in body or spirit as you are able.
If you'd remain where you are and uh, turn to your order of service for our affirmation. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest of truth is its sacrament and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge in freedom, to serve human need, to the end that all souls shall grow into harmony with the divine. Thus do we covenant with each other. And please join me in our sung doxology. be seated. Good morning. I'm Joni Hahn. Can you hear me okay all the way in the back? Oh, no? Tilt it down. Is that better? Oh, wonderful. Okay. I love wonderful microphones. Okay. The story for today, the story for all ages, is The Boy Who Spoke to the Earth by Chris Burkhardt and David McClellan. Towards the end of this story, there is a place where it's like a meditation. Uh, there are several pages with no words, so I will stop speaking. And I will invite you to join me in just enjoying and appreciating the beautiful illustrations up front on our screen. There once was a boy who spoke to the earth. And the earth spoke back. Earth, are you listening, my boy? I am always listening. Where can I find happiness? The journey to happiness is difficult, but I can show you the way, said the earth. Are you willing to make the journey? Oh, I am, said the boy, and he meant it. Then go to the ocean, where waves tower overhead, said the earth. So the boy began to walk. I see the water in the shells, said the boy, but I don't see happiness. Then go to the cliffs where water is always flowing, said the earth. So he waited and he wandered until he left the waves behind. I see the spray and the moss, said the boy, but I don't see happiness. Then go to the forest where trees gather together, said the earth. So he stepped and he strode until he left the moss behind. 
I see the roots and the leaves, said the boy, but I don't see happiness. Then go to the desert where red stone guards the way, said the earth. So he hiked and he hauled until he left the trees behind. I see the sand and the stone, said the boy, but I don't see happiness. Then go to the mountains where peaks touch the clouds, said the earth. So he trekked and he trudged until he left the sand behind. I see the rocks and the brush, said the boy, but I don't see happiness. Then go to the top of the world where lights dance in the sky, said the earth. So he climbed and he crawled until he left the peaks behind. I see the ice and the snow, said the boy, but I don't see happiness. This time, the earth didn't answer. So the boy walked, and he walked, and he walked, and he left it all behind. I've traveled so far, and I've seen so much, but still, I haven't found happiness. Earth, are you listening? asked the boy. My boy, did you look without seeing? asked the earth. Go back along the trail, but this time stand still for just a moment. So he went back and he looked again.
And for the first time, the boy finally saw happiness was all around him. So as this is a service for all ages, I invite you now to join in and bless all who are with us here today and online with the song um, that is in your order of worship. Thank you. of UU Wausau is made possible by the generous support of our friends and members. Let there be an offering to sustain and strengthen this place, which is sacred to so many of us, a community of memory and of hope, for we are now the keepers of the dream. If, please, um, Place your offering instead in a basket in the back of the church or contribute online. Thank you. Please join me for uh, hymn number 1007 in your teal book.
Micah, who was a rural prophet, a, a, a contemporary of Isaiah, he of the words to the Messiah. Micah wrote, how shall I enter the eternal's presence? Shall I come with sacrifices, with yearling calves to offer? Would the eternal care for rams in thousands or for oil flowing on myriad streams? What does the eternal ask from you but to be just and kind and live in quiet fellowship? Please join me in a couple minutes of meditation, prayer, quiet. I invite you to open your hymnals to hymn number 108, My Life Flows On in Endless Song.
Ursula Goodenow, who's a cell biologist and self-described religious humanist, a religious naturalist, in her book, The Sacred Depths of Nature, writes, the wonders and majesty of nature have been deep resources for religious reflection through, throughout human history. As expressed in this prayer of the Pawnee, remember, remember the circle of the sky, the stars, and the brown eagle, the supernatural winds breathing night and day from the four directions, remember. Remember the sacredness of things, running streams and dwellings, the young within the nest, a hearth for sacred fire, the holy flame of fire. And she continues, the outpouring of biological diversity calls us to marvel at its fecundity. It also calls us to stand before its presence with deep abiding humility. It calls us to an understanding that all of us humans are but a tiny part of an enormous context. We are called to acknowledge our dependence on the web of life, both for our subsistence and for the countless aesthetic experiences, spring birdsong, swelling tree buds, the dizzy smell of hyacinth. We are called to acknowledge that which we are not, we cannot survive in a deep sea vent or fix nitrogen or create a forest canopy or, or soar 300 feet in the air and catch a mouse in a spectacular nosedive. Most religious traditions ask us to bow and tremble in deference to the divine, to walk humbly with thy God. Religious naturalism asks that we locate such feelings of deference somewhere within the earth whole. Orrin Lyons, faith keeper of the Onondaga Nation, conveyed this concept to an assembly at the United Nations. And he said, we are a mere part of creation and we must continue to understand where we are. We stand between the mountain and the ant, somewhere and there only as part and parcel of the creation. Creation is our responsibility since we have been given the minds to take care of these things. For today's music meditation, we are going to do this pretty planet, which you may have heard last year when the choir did it, uh, but today, you are going to do it too. So Kira and Amy are going to sing it for you once, and then I will play the introduction all the way through the way I always do, and then we'll sing it once in unison. And then we're going to do a three-part canon. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and so the front half here will sing with the people that are over here. And then the front half here, we'll sing with the people that are over there. And the back third, we'll sing with the people that are there. So let's let them get organized.
Thank you. Thank you. Well, this next reading, this story of the Nibi water song is, is given with permission by the woman who wrote it. The water song was written by Doreen Day at the request of her grandson. Doreen had attended a conference about the water in which the internationally known speaker, Dr. Masaru Emoto, said, the very least we should do every day is to speak to the water, and what we should say is, water, we love you, we thank you, we respect you. So Doreen did this every day on her drive to drop her grandson, Mashkunse, which means little elk, to drop Mashkunse to school, they passed a body of water, and every day they said these words to the water as they drove by. And they made games by saying it in different voices, and then would say it as fast as they could. Water, we love you, we respect you, we love you. We thank you. Then one day, Mashkunse said, Nakomis, grandmother, Nakomis, why can't we say this in our language? And so Doreen asked her daughter's language teacher to write it in Ojibwe. Doreen had the words taped to the car visor as they learned the words. Nihibi gija geigu, omigwechiwe nimigu, ojiwa nimigu. Water, we love you, we thank you, we respect you. And one day the grandson Mashkunse said, Nakomis, why don't we sing the words? I think that the water would like to be sung to. And so she thought about it and came up with this tune. And they sang this song to the water every morning on their drive to school. Water, we love you, we thank you, we respect you. So we gather on this Sunday, the day after Earth Day, a day we have, on, in Minnesota, it's Earth Week. I don't know about here. But we've honored this day for over 50 years, thanks to your lovely late Senator Gaylord Nelson. It's a day to raise awareness of environmental issues. Well, we're finally, we think, starting to enjoy spring in the Northland. Um, the ice is finally mostly out. Um, grasses are greening, the trees are starting to bud out, flowers. We saw um, uh, forsythia blooming today on our drive into church. We're finally enjoying spring, the recreation of a new day, the regrowing earth. Mother Nature, Gaia, the cycle of seasons is no more evident than at the renewal we experience in the spring. So this reflection is asking, what is that Gaia, this blue-green earth, this natural world, what does it require of us to be for her and to do for her? What is required of us, and who or what does that requiring? Now, theologians and ethicists and philosophers have considered our human relationships with the earth for millennia, and my dear hearts, I happen to have degrees, advanced degrees in all of those subjects, and so you're going to be stuck with a lot of theology and philosophy and ethics. 
So what do they say? These theologians, ethicists, philosophers, the environmentalists, that life is essentially vulnerable, that humans use the natural world often in thoughtless ways, that our use and our abuse is increasing life's vulnerability in alarming ways and at an alarming rate. Care for our natural world is a religious venture, a philosophical argument, an ethical pursuit, an environmental mandate. So what is argued for, discerned, preached about, is a way of life that embraces certain attitudes and habits in regard to the earth and its health. A way of life that welds beliefs with practice. A way of life that recognizes life's fragility and our essential finiteness. Now this way of life demands that we look at the world with reverence and treat it with respect. Now reverence, that's an interesting word, and humanist Paul Woodruff, in his small book on reverence, it's a lovely little book that's down here, he writes, reverence begins in a deep understanding of human limitations. From this grows the capacity to be in awe of whatever we believe lies outside our control, whether that is God, truth, justice, nature, even death. The capacity for awe as it grows brings with it the capacity for respecting fellow human beings, flaws, and all. Reverence is the virtue that keeps human beings from trying to act like gods. Without reverence, we cannot explain why we should treat the natural world with respect. Now, our culture is immersed in subjectivity and relativism, a culture of looking out for number one. Our increasing scientific knowledge and use of technology often give us a feeling of invulnerability. We become, regardless of the use of our powers, we forget or ignore the very vulnerability of life, its fragility, and our individual and collective ability to destroy the very world that not only sustains us, but has a dignity and a power and a worth all its own. And this way of life echoes many of our Unitarian and Universalist forebears' philosophy. In modern terms, we recognize that we are part of the web of life. In historical terms, this way of life is what our foremothers and our forefathers called pietism. Now, piety and pietism certainly have negative connotations. Uh, piety so often indicates a belief or practice that is self-righteous in the extreme. Piety is so often smug intellectually and merciless emotionally. Piety in its worst form is hypocritical, advocates love while it ad its adherents spread distrust speaks for peace, yet sows disharmony, champions some sort of pure, supposedly natural behavior, while it labels, condemns, and ostracizes others as impure, perverse, unnatural. Piety, well, piety seems dangerously close to um, a militant, at best a smarmy, holier-than-thou attitude. But, but um, 
can piety be reclaimed, revitalized, or reimagined? And of course, for piety, I always go back to my dictionary. Piety, in its positive sense, means, uh, suggests a, a devotion and reverence to an ultimate. Piety suggests a stance of awe and wonder and mystery as we walk through our lives, an openness to grace and gifts we did not earn. Piety in practice leads us into liturgies of care for this earth, our home. Piety reminds us that we are not our own. Earth forms us, earth claims us. Water, we love you, we thank you, we respect you. Nibi mama gija kiki gei gugi gei gugi mi guetu wei nimi gu gija wei nimi gu nibi mama mother earth we love you we thank you we respect you so in a small book um boy written back in 1995 it's called the devotional heart Pietism and the Renewal of American Unitarian Universalism. Oh, I wouldn't recommend it unless you're a real nerd. But John Morgan writes of how piety influenced the early Universalists. Morgan writes about Hosea Ballou, and Hosea Ballou was a, a notable 18th century Universalist preacher and theologian who thought that pietism means living the life of reverence, of devotion in the depths. And Ballou wrote, we must not look for religion in creeds or formularies of human invention. We must look for religion in the honest, the pious, the devotional heart, in the heart which truly loves God, loves its sister and brother also. The principle of love to God and goodwill to all is true religion. Well, for those of who believe in a personal God, for those who believe in a creator God, we act ethically when we try to figure out what it is God requires us to do. What does the ultimate power in the universe require of us in regard to the earth? Now, one of um, my old bumper stickers, stickers and I, I got this from an environmental con conference that was run by a couple, one Christian and one Unitarian. But the bumper sticker reads, God's plan was to live in a garden with a couple of naked vegetarians. <laughs> yeah, it got changed, but yeah. <sighs> so for those of us who are humanists, atheists, agnostics, or whatever, those who are all, um, more often define the ultimate in relation to humanity, Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor offers us his idea of the ultimate. Taylor calls these ultimate concerns horizons of significance. And, and he asks, this is horizons of significance are what is it that calls to us, that requires of us reverence and right action? And his, in his book, The Ethics of Authenticity, which somehow went AWOL, I think, in my sermon about um, atheism, um, it's in a safe spot. The Ethics of Authenticity. This is a lovely little book. Taylor argues for an authenticity of self, a self that is not only important because it is unique with inherent worth and dignity. Taylor argues that a self, a person, can only find its true depth and breadth in relation to that which is demanding, compelling, 
greater than self. And Taylor writes, I can define my identity only against the background of things that matter. Only if I exist in a world in which I recognize horizons of significance, in which history or the demands of nature or the needs of my fellow human beings or the duties of citizenship or the call of God or something else of this order matters crucially. Only against this background of things that matter can I define an identity for myself that is not trivial. So, unlike the seventh grader in my Sunday school class back in Missoula, who once looked up at me, I was trying to get the class to order, and she pronounced, you are not the boss of me, to which I replied, but I was the boss of the treats, which happened to be Leah's horizon of significance on a Sunday morning. So she bowed to my authority. Oh, Lordy. <laughs> now, Taylor argues that one or more of these horizons of significance, whether it's history, the nature, needs of others, the duties of citizenship, God, is the boss of us, is the boss of us. We are only an authentic individual if we recognize that some things are greater than us, greater than we are, greater than our wants and our needs, that meaning and value are not solely determined by humans, or by one human. Charles Taylor sees a solely human-centered ethic as moving inexorably towards ecological aggression, a thoughtless, uncaring stance towards the natural world. Now, Taylor also presents the old idea of the great chain of being, an idea based on Plato's philosophy and taken up by the early Christian church. Now, the great chain of being details a, a strict, religious, hierarchical structure of all matter and life, and it was believed to have been decreed by God. And the chain starts, of course, from God, and then it's archangels and angels, and there are all sorts of angels, and then, of course, it's the fallen angels. And then... Uh, uh, it's the universe, the stars and the moons, and then, of course, it's the earthly important people, the kings and the royalty, the nobles, the princes, and then it's men, and believe me, in this context, it was men, um, and, you know, and then women and wild animals, um, uh, and domesticated animals, and trees, other plants, precious stones, precious metals, and other minerals. And Taylor writes, just because we no longer believe in the doctrine of the great chain of being, we don't need to see ourselves as set in a universe that we can consider as simply as a source of raw materials for our projects. We may still need to see ourselves as part of a larger order that can make claims on us. Taylor's horizons of significance compel us, demand from us, require us to act in certain ways. Horizons of significance evoke our respect or our reverence. They are an ultimate which elicit an attitude of piety and direct us towards pious action. Nihimigi <laughs> So Charles Taylor and Paul Woodruff ask us to find our place in the world as part of the world and to understand how we are required to act in the world, influenced and directed by that which is ultimate, 
that which is our horizon of significance, that which we revere, that which is beyond our individual human control. And that is certainly the natural world. What is described is a pietism that ultimately focuses more on how we live out our faith, which in the 50 cent word is orthopraxy, uh, versus orthodoxy, orthodoxy believing the right thing. This is the thing you have to believe. We are called to act in this right way with reverence toward the things that we feel are bigger than us, that demand us to act towards our fellow humans, toward the natural world, towards our duties as citizens. So, oh my dears, there's this whole page about um, a Christian ethicist. I will try to, to, to don't try to take notes. Um, Christian ethicist, James Gustafson, um, and uh, this was in a, a book in seminary, Environmental Ethics. Um, writes about what this piety, this right living, looks like and feels like. And he talks about a lot of things that I've already talked about. Our dependence, our dependence on each other, our dependence on the natural world. Um, our dependence on the web of life. And that obliges us to act in certain ways. Um, in the words of Chief Seattle, this we know, all things are connected, like the blood that unites us. We did not weave the web of life. We are merely a strand in it. Whatever we do to the web, we do to ourselves. So we depend on this web. We are obliged to act in dependence on this wealth. We are grateful to all these gifts that we are given. When we miss the mark, when we are broken in our relationship to our world, we try to fix it. We ask forgiveness. And Gustafson tells us that we recognize that within limits, we can alter the conditions of our lives. Um, he says, except for those who are in the blackest nights of despair, human beings see or seek for some possibilities for altering those conditions which oppress them or for sustaining those conditions which support them. To be human is to have that some sense of such possibilities. And so he asks us to have that sense of possibility, that sense of hope that something can be done, that the little we can do, each one of us, can make some difference that will matter. So these attitudes of humility and openness, the idea of tikkun, the healing of the world, the stance of thankfulness and anticipation are pathways to a deeper and wider and gentler spiritual journey through life. Well, holy buckets, that was a lot of philosophy and technology, and believe me, you didn't get half the half of it. So I will go to a story. Um, this story is told in the first person, and it goes, as a bagpiper, I play many gigs. Recently, I was asked by a funeral director to play at a graveside service for a homeless man. He had no family or friends, so the service was to be at a pauper's cemetery in the Kentucky backcountry. As I was not familiar with the backwoods, I got lost, and being a typical guy, I hadn't asked for directions. But I finally arrived an hour late and saw the funeral guy had evidently gone, and the hearse was nowhere to be seen. There were only the diggers and crew left, and they were eating lunch. 
Well, I felt badly, and I apologized to the men for being late. I, I went to the site of the grave and looked down, and, and the vault lid was already in place. Well, I didn't know what else to do, so I took out my bagpipes, and I started to play. The workers put down their lunches and began to gather around. I played out my heart and soul for this man with no family and friends. I played like I'd never played before for this homeless man. And as I played Amazing Grace, the workers began to weep. They wept and, and I wept. We, we all wept together. And when I was finished, I, I packed up my bagpipes and I started for my car. And though my heart hung low, though my head hung low, my heart was full. And as I opened the door to my car, I heard one of the workers say, I never seen nothing like that before, and I've been putting in septic tanks for 20 years. <laughs> Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Ah, amazing grace. Nibigi shageigu. Ni mama. Kishageigu. Gimi kwechaway. Nimigu. Kishaway. Nimigu. Water, Mother Earth, we love you, we thank you, we respect you. May we play our music to the stars and the septic tanks. May we sing our songs to the water, the water protectors, the fish and ponds, this beloved earth. In our living, in our dying, may we recognize our inextricable interconnectedness. Walk humbly, be just, be kind. So when that per pipe bursts in the middle of winter, or we lose heat, or the rains finally come, or the rains finally go, we know how dependent we are on people and on nature. We give thanks for the rain, we give thanks for the sun, we give thanks for the plumber. We do. May we have direction, a vision, a goal for an earth made fair and all her people one. May we be purpose-filled, pious, universalists, Unitarians. May it be so. May we make it so. Blessed be and amen. So I invite you to turn your hymnals to hymn number 163, For the Earth Forever Turning, and rise in body or spirit as you are able.
Remember, remember the sacredness of things, running streams and dwellings, the young within the nest, a hearth for sacred fire, the holy flame of fire. So carry this flame, the search for truth, the warmth of community, the fire of commitment, and share it with each other, with all the world. So go in peace and blessed unrest. And please be seated for the postlude. We're going to do the same thing. Amy and Kira will sing just one verse of Give Light, which we have actually done before, but it's been quite a while. And then I'll play the oh, introduction, the whole yeah. thing, all the way through just to get it in back. your ears. And then we will sing it together. So as soon as I start the introduction, that would be a good time for you to stand up. Right now, go ahead and relax and listen to Amy and Kara. Thank you very much. Oh, I enjoyed that. Oh, bird. good. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, better make sure. 